Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It is indeed my pleasure to stand before you again, St. Paul's. I am so pleased that you all have welcomed me into your physical home, your spiritual home, welcomed me to your laptop, iPad, and cell phone. I'm grateful for all the ways that you understand home, and I'm grateful that you've invited me into all those spaces. I am the Reverend Dr. Mark Andrew Jefferson, and I teach homiletics, a fancy word for preaching, at the Virginia Theological Seminary there in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm very pleased that the invitation was extended to me to be able to share with you as I've heard so much about the great work that happens in this place. So thank you very much. I'm also excited because you helped me get a little bit of work done. Our seminary turns 200 years old next year. And I was asked by our dean and president if I'd be willing to preach 200 sermons around the world to commemorate such a task. You laugh, and I laugh too. <laughs> because I did not do the short math, I did not pull up the abacus or the calculator to figure out how much time that would take me to preach all those sermons. So since 2018, I've been traveling almost every weekend to different churches, places of meeting, gatherings, and other spaces to be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I came to tell you from Honolulu to Bar Harbor to Orlando to Houston to Cape Town is to let you know that there are people gathering around the world just as you are seeking to be faithful and you are not alone. As we navigate a world that is full of war and rumor of war, pandemic and inflation, we are buffeted on every side, but we serve a God who is faithful and I'm glad that you all gather in God's name to do God's work. So for that, I'm appreciative. So what we've been doing today is we've been dealing with each of the readings that we've been presented with today. So for the early service, we looked at Philippians and we talked about the process of pressing. When Paul says, I press toward the mark, that is not an idle statement, but he says that in the context of a larger aspiration of being like Christ and being conformed to that image. And we talked about that briefly. The second sermon, we talked about responding to generosity, how there's different responses to the grace of God. And out of the gospel text, we looked at how Jesus has a way of bringing out the best and the worst in us. And we noticed that, how's that played out in the text there. And so we will finish off with Isaiah. A fitting way to bring an end by starting at the beginning of our readings. And so for the time that's ours, I'd like to share with you from this thought, the bad news of the good news. The bad news of the good news. Well, in order to be able to unpack this thought succinctly, we must understand what is good news. Well, good news is contextual. Good news depends on who's giving it, who's listening to it, and who benefits from it. So this notion of the good news takes a particular stance based on who's proclaiming it, where, when, how. So when we talk about 
the gospel being good news, it must be good news to someone. Hence, it's also bad news to others. And if we're able to pull this into the personal, within us, there is a desire and a craving for the good news of Jesus Christ. But that good news is also bad news to the ways that we engage in this life. For we are perplexed and wedged between competing kingdoms and competing realities. On one hand, we find ourselves seeking to be faithful to a God that has redeemed us and called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of this way. But we're also faced with how that good news is bad news as it confronts our selfishness, our pride, our inherent sinfulness, and the scaffolding of that sinfulness into institutions that perpetuate it. So we are betwixt and between good news and bad news. The same gospel text that is good news to us Sunday morning is bad news by Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and some of you are even sitting in this seat mildly conflicted as you heard the readings and wonder what I'm going to say, knowing that it is good news and also bad news. The prophet Isaiah picks up this concept of good and bad news in his own way because he is telling those who are exiled and oppressed there in Babylon. God is reminding them to forget the former things. How can they forget the former things? They are ensnared, they are oppressed, and they are a captured and a mentally sedated people. They become so accustomed to oppression that they have allowed that energy of paternalism to weather and wear down their ability to have agency. Long story short, God's people were living in the midst of bad news. This bad news the prophet Isaiah is trying to bring into context is wedded with good news. God's liberating and active work to set us free. So in order to do that, the prophet Isaiah harkens back to Egypt, harkens back to the Exodus and says, you were brought out by God's mighty hand to live a life of freedom and service to this God. But at the same time, too much of Egypt got into you so that you would complain in the wilderness. You would moan about God's provision and you would openly rebel against God's leader. These people were living in the tension of good news and bad news. And what God is asking through the prophet Isaiah in this text is very simple. Do you not perceive what's going on? God is doing a new thing. God has done new things in the past. Isaiah says God has made rivers in the wilderness. God has turned the natural forces that worked against you into forces that work for you. God has proven that the bad news of your life is not the end, but it's the beginning for God's good news. 
And that makes me smile because there are times when we look at our life and see how we've been ensnared and ravaged by sin, ensnared by selfishness, concerned with only ourselves, and we've not been able to perceive a way out. But this God has said to them through the prophet, I have done new things in the past, and I am doing new things in your present. But can you perceive it? What a question. Can you perceive it? Are you able to perceive it? Do you want to perceive it? Because that question brings about the tension. We are on one hand buffeted by God's good news of setting us free, inviting us to a life that is a life of generosity and peace, but it's also a bad news because it calls our actions into question. The people in the text in Isaiah were living under the shadow of empire. They found themselves on one hand embracing the system that oppressed them, but on the other hand, facing the reality of God's pre-made new way. But it's up to them to perceive it. That perception is very interesting because as we turn our attention to the gospel, we see that God is intervening in a new way. The gospel of John begins in the beginning with the word, the word was with God and the word was God. God taking on flesh, becoming one of us, and humbling himself to not just be a human. He could have been a Caesar, a procurator, a governor, an oligarch of the day. He could have been someone of power in this world. But it seems strange, even blasphemous, that the scandal of the incarnation is that God became not just one of us, but one of the lowliest ones of us. This God, enfleshed, encased in our reality, is therefore intervening in how we live this life and the possibilities that this life brings. How do I know this? Because in chapter 11 of this same book of John, death, humanity's great fall, and constant companion is on the loose. And it grabs Lazarus's soul and his body to the point in which Jesus went from saying that Lazarus is sick unto death to now Lazarus is dead. And chapter 11 wages on as we see people wrestling with God, the ways of God, the timing of God, and even does God care at all. But Jesus shows up, intervening in the bad news of death by offering good news, which is life. Not just life eternal, but life in this life as Lazarus becomes a recipient, even evidence of God's intervention in our bad news. So death is not the end, my friend. If anything, death is a stop through. Jesus evicts the smell of rigor mortis and the grip of death to offer Lazarus this invitation to life. But life is problematic for those who are in the business of death. For as soon as he 
raises Lazarus. There is a commotion amongst those in leadership. Those who are responsible for holding society at bay, for those who are responsible for maintaining social order. Because they recognized that this Jesus is upending things. This Jesus and his invitation of life is a stark comparison to the death offered by the Pax Romana, their version of peace. For as Rome pushed out, as Rome continued to expand and bring subjugated people into their fold, it passed death. It passed debt. And it passed taxation on those they encompassed. So what happens is that now, Jesus, through the very act of offering life, is providing cracks in this empire of death. And so now, we recognize that Jesus is now a wanted man because he is bringing bad news to the good news of empire and bringing good news to the bad news of people's plights. And so now Jesus is living in that tension and so he shows up at that same house, Mary, Lazarus, and Martha. And Jesus is there and Mary offers something sweet. She offers a gift so rich that it becomes good news to Judas's bad news. She offers a gift so expensive that it changed the disposition of the text. So Lazarus was there, Martha's there, Mary offers the gift, and now Judas is upset because he's trying to manage a miracle. He's trying to then personalize and take advantage of the good news by turning it into bad news. My sister, my brother, it is the lavishness of God that brings this world into account. In a world that takes, commodifies, and dehumanizes. When we offer our gifts to a God who loves cares for and nourishes, the world will then find problem. But then we add on to the fact that the Apostle Paul finds himself writing to the church in Philippi. And he's saying to them, there's something special about this Jesus fellow. I want to know him a little differently than I know some of you. He said, I want to know Jesus in the fullness of his Christness but also in the lowliness of his Jesusness. I want the full experience of God because it is this good news that I'm bearing witness to with my body. I've been whipped, I've been flogged, I've been beaten, I've been castigated, put in jail. But at the same time, I can't stop talking about Jesus. These realities bring us to a place where we must reconcile our own self. We live in a world that provides us tremendous comfort, but it also is a world of discomfort. War has ever been and shall be, but we are still awakening to the brutality and the depth of that depravity. The self-interest that governs our days still is in control. 
But Jesus is offering this new way, this new invitation to turn the bad news of the murkiness of our days and to part the overcast clouds of our reality. And he wants to shine the sun through. But we've become addicted to darkness. So what's the good news, preacher? The good news is that no matter how bad it is, God is still intervening with the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel that turns an outcast into someone who's brought in the fold. The good news of the gospel brings in those who did not find a way in, a way in. The good news of the gospel is that the metastructures that govern our days are not the only ways that we can attend to this life. What blesses me is not Who's the president? Who's the governor? Who's the mayor? The blessing was touched on briefly in our session in between services. The good news is that he shall reign forever and ever. Not an oligarch, not a CEO, not a president, but he shall reign forever and ever. Not Death, not disease, not sickness, but he shall reign forever and ever. When I look at my life and I see the way that it's going and I wonder how is God going to bring something redeeming out of my life, I can have hope because he shall reign forever and ever. So as we wrestle with the competing news of our day, the bad news of what we call news, and the good news of the gospel. I came to tell you and leave you with this fact, that he shall reign forever and ever. And if you meet that God who reigns forever and ever, bad news can never stay bad. And good news will be good news forever. Amen.